Hi, this is Dave Olson. I'm the senior leader of Heartland Church located in Ankeny, Iowa. I hope the following message challenges, encourages, and ultimately changes you. Thanks for joining us. God is establishing a testimony, a story, His story, history, through your life. And nothing can stand in the way except your will. God has everything He needs to accomplish His will except your will. That's the one thing He looks to you for. And uh, this, is a, this is a tremendous story of redemption. Uh, Rick and I have talked various times about their, their story, and I thought, man, we just need to have them share this. And so I want you to understand that God has a story. There's something he's establishing, a testimony before all the earth, a facet of his character that he wants to communicate through your family. And it doesn't matter your history. It doesn't matter all that you've been through. God is going to accomplish if you'll yield to him. So thank you, guys. Pastor Dave, thank you for yielding to a crazy idea. Um, what you're looking at, and, and I'm just going to assume you guys are getting the Bob Sorge video ready. Are we good? All right, then minimal stalling here. Um, this is literally our dining room table. These guys meet at our house um, every Sunday. We come out of here and we go there. And we've gotten together as a family like this for, man, I think it's like almost 10 years now. Yeah, 10-ish. Christopher was here. No, 12. Okay. <laughs> it's 12. It's 12. It's been 12. It's been 12. I am obviously very thankful for that kind of a family, for people that get family like that. And, uh, but what I want to tell you is we brought this table into this room to invite you into the family. This testimony is not our testimony. This is the story. Yeah, it's already started, right? And Laura, if there are other cases of Kleenex in the back, we should probably have those ready. Um, this is not our story. This is the story of God's faithfulness to our family. And it's multi-generational. We're condensing 30 years of seven people's lives into one hour, 57 minutes. So pray, and uh, we're going to start off with a video uh, from a worship leader, writer, author, pastor named Bob Sorge. Um, due, to, due to complications with his vocal cords and surgeries that went wrong, he lost the ability to sing and to speak properly. He can talk 30 to 60 minutes a day depending on how much it hurts. And when the pain gets too bad, he has to stop and he's done. Can you imagine for a worship leader, for a pastor, a speaker, to, to, you know what? But here's what Bob says. People ask me, you know, when are you going to be healed? He says, well, I'm not healed yet, but you haven't heard the end of my story. Come on. That's good. I'll just let Bob say the rest. I just have one question. God. 
if you are having a bad day, just Google Bob Sorge on, on YouTube, my word. Um, do not let go of your story. Do not let go of your story. God has written one story in the earth that looks like you, that's shaped like you. One. Don't let go of it. That's not in the notes. I have to stop doing that sort of thing. <laughs> so, hi, I'm Rick Arrowwood. Um, I may have started this. I've been the director of Kingdom House of Prayer for about nine years now, uh, but I've been with it since the beginning. I work in the IT department for Meredith Corporation, major publishing media company. I don't know if you know we own TV stations and, and allrecipes.com and all that kind of stuff. I've been married to Carrie for almost 23 years. I love the destination. The trajectory, not always so much. So we're gonna start with our story and bring you into where we ended up, where we started out with, and, um, and then we're gonna let the kids share their pieces of the story as it all unfolded. And then we're gonna join our stories together at the altar and say we're gonna be in it to the end, all right? That's the plan, here we go. So my father was not only a pastor, if you don't know Richard Arrowwood, he was also the superintendent of the Iowa Assembly, so he was the most pastoral pastor that there was. <laughs> my grandfather was the reason, because he was a church leader, board member, and intercessor for nearly 60 years. Um, I graduated from the same Bible college that my father did and my grandpa's brother did. It was a church for pastors, they were intercessors. That's who we are. So there I was, a young youth pastor with two girls, Chantel and Nina, two and four, um, when my wife walked away from God. It's not Carrie. <laughs> she had a lot of history, a lot of addictions, a lot of family uh, issues, abuse, and she thought if she married uh, a pastor, it would just all go away. How many of you have been in Christ's life and know that's not true? Yeah, all right, right. Uh, yeah, and uh, anyway, it didn't. And I didn't know what to do to fix her. We tried counselors, so many counselors. But after five years of trying to make it work, it, it was over. And she was led into a lifestyle that broke the heart of God and ended the covenant of our marriage. And it wasn't all her. I want, I want to tell you this. It's important that you own your pieces of when the story goes south, right? I hid from... The difficulty in 70 to 80 hour work weeks didn't have to my dad wasn't that kind of boss but I did a lot of things that I hid in and so I hid in work I didn't understand family priorities like that um, and I didn't understand how to have the kind of relationship that would heal someone who had been through abuse and had been through would, it, would things have been different if I knew all that I don't know only God knows Nevertheless, we separated in 1989, and I became, like Pastor Dave, a homeless, unemployed youth pastor. Um, at this point in my life, I moved to a church that my girls liked. That's how I measured what church to go to. Kids, workers, this is your day to shine. <laughs> Brittany, woo! Um, I, uh, I moved in with my parents, who were and, and are my heroes. I went to work for Kelly Services because after three straight weeks in bed, my mom said, get up, get a job, any job. Get out of my house. <laughs> so check this out. For Kelly Services, I worked one day at principal, and they were trying to figure out a way to keep me, but it was a one-day assignment. 
The next day, I worked with Carolyn Walker at Meredith Berta for two and a half years. Well, still gonna taste good. All right, thank you. When Carolyn moved to Meredith Corporation's corporate office from Meredith Berta, she called me. She said, send me your resume. I need to know how to write this job description. I had applied at Meredith multiple times and they wouldn't even take my resume. And God opened the door and I've been there 28 years. So you can't say God doesn't know where you're at. He absolutely knows where you're at. He knows what you're gonna need 28 years from now. Somewhere I'm in the notes. I joined a Christian rock band, Zero Hour. It was awesome. You never heard of us because we were an 80s rock band in the 90s when nobody wanted to hear it. Um, next. Their friendship saved my life, though. And uh, I also bought a keyboard. Forgive me, Dave Ramsey, on a credit card. I don't think Dave was doing stuff back then. I'm going to plead, plead the absence of Dave. Um, and headphones, and I would play at night after everyone went to bed at my dad's house. And I bought the Brownsville Revival cassette. And I played along with that again and again and again. I'd like to tell you that this was like a spiritual discernment moment in my life, right? But it actually felt like desperation. This was the rock that I fell on when I had nothing else. In the, when the flood of 93 happened, I started having anxiety attacks at exactly 1 o'clock every morning, ex within like one or two minutes, every direction. So my solution, stay up till 2, and then you can sleep. This is hard to work under that kind of environment. But I got a lot of worship in. I didn't know it, but that was establishing the foundation for what I do now, how I approach life now. I, it didn't feel spiritual. Um, but I started taking computer programming classes at DMAC, and, and it was incidentally, their partner, you don't know this about my dad, right? That my dad started back at DMAC in the late 60s. He hired all the first teachers, set up the budgets, bought the computer, the whole thing. He set up the computer department at DMAC, and I went there. I was working full-time, taking classes at night, still not sleeping. This was going to be my future. Finally, after three more years of multiple counselors and two other on-and-off divorce proceedings and just a lot of stuff, Johanna and I sat down with one lawyer together and finished our marriage officially. There was every other ugly aspect of a divorce that you can imagine. And really, we don't need to talk about the details of that. If you have something that you need to talk about with me, I'd be glad to talk to you personally, and we can certainly talk. Um, but you know what's not important? You can let things go that are in the past and say that is under the blood of Jesus. Right? Come on. Anyway, but I didn't feel like I was, you know, unwavering. Oh, my word. Um, she got custody of the girls, but I got them every weekend so I could make sure they were in church. And honestly, they were at my parents' house almost all the time, weekends, weekdays, whatever, whenever they could come. My grandparents would pray for them and feed them little Debbie Swiss cake rolls. They were my they favorite people. Favorite. <laughs> Somebody found out I could play bass um, at church, and so my days of hiding were over. And so when the bass player for the youth, the regional youth convention broke his arm the week before convention, yikes. They asked if I could do it, and I said, sure, why not? Thursday and Friday were great, 
And then I heard God speak to my heart and he said, you need to consider that I may not be done with you yet. I can't tell you what the speaker, Roosevelt Hunter, said over those three days, but my heart came alive when I began to have hope that God might not be done with me yet. I called my teachers and I dropped all my computer classes. Slowly, I began leading worship in the youth, teaching Sunday school, subbing for the youth pastor. I eventually became the worship leader at that church. Now, that's like three years all in one sentence, so right? I don't want you to feel like, you know, Tuesday I went back and by Friday I was done. <laughs> I'm just going to pass this over to Carrie now. Hi. I'm going to do this. Or is that on? Talk. Hi. There it is. <laughs> Sorry, I'm on the tail end of a cold, and so I feel a little bit like Would Bob she Sorg. Did to me? <laughs> Sound like Bob Sorg. <clears throat> my history is pretty much as far back as I am aware of from my family history. All the great grandparents came from Norway in about the 1860s. They all really, really, really loved Jesus, and they really, really, really loved their families. As a result of that history, there are my family is just loaded with pastors and leaders in the Assembly of God. I grew up very blessed. Um, <clears throat> and I knew that I was deeply, deeply loved. I also grew up hearing the verse that God hates divorce. And so, you know, it made sense that um, <clears throat> if two people loved God and you know, they were committed to each other. Why, would, why wouldn't it work to just get married to whoever? Because they love God and God hates divorce. So, of course, we're not going to get a divorce. That's crazy talk. <clears throat> so I met Chelsea's dad when I was in high school. We started dating my senior year. He was 20. <laughs> I, I hadn't dated before that, and I felt really lucky that he liked me. <laughs> And he wanted to be a youth and music pastor. And turns out we were both heading to North Central Bible College in Minneapolis. So we continued dating and got engaged. And I still felt really lucky. And I felt like I needed to make sure that I was whatever I needed to be to make sure that the marriage worked because, well, God hates divorce. And um, so we got married. He graduated. We looked for a church position, but nothing really worked out for that. And so he got a retail management job. Chelsea was born about five years into the marriage. And we settled into our lives. As time went on, I eventually began to notice that he seemed to be pulling away from God. And the further he went from God, the worse our marriage was becoming. <coughs> as the marriage was ending, I was pretty much a mess. The only conclusion I'd come to was that, well, I had failed. God hates divorce, so apparently I really blew it because I couldn't keep it together. And so <clears throat> we separated, and the main prayer that I had during those days was just some version of, God, don't let Chelsea become a whacked out child of divorce. Jury's still out. Yeah. <laughs> Lies. No, why is this never on when I talk? Lies. <laughs> because you're a whacked out child of divorce. 
Uh, there were some things that I that I handled really well during that time, and other things not not as well as I had hoped. But God took care of Chelsea, and it wasn't because of my eloquent prayers, because they certainly weren't eloquent at all. Um, they were just total desperation, and God answered that prayer because God's faithful. And that's who He is. The divorce was finalized, and. I had gotten connected with a really great pack of people from the choir at my church. I eventually started dating another guy, but I still hadn't learned the basic lesson. I was still trying to make my life fit into what it needed to be for that relationship, and I needed to be whoever that person was. After a number of months, well, that relationship ended, and again, I was a mess. My mom had also died during this time. That was, that was a rough one. There was one particular church service, and I was feeling just so hopeless. I had a failed marriage. My mom died. My relationship ended. And we sang the song, Draw Me Close to You. Um, the words are, draw me close to you. Never let me go. I lay it all down again to hear you say that I'm your friend. You are my desire. No one else will do. Nothing else can take the place to feel the warmth of your embrace. Help me find the way. Bring me back to you. You're all I want. You're all I've ever needed. You're all I want. Help me know you are near. Now, I'm not at all one of those super spiritual people that senses a lot of God stuff often. <coughs> um, but that day, I just really felt like God totally wrapped his arms around me for this big giant hug and he whispered in my ear, some people will choose to leave, some people will leave due to circumstances, but he would never leave. And I clung to that. However, I was still a f not, not, not really in a great shape a few months later, and I, I was pretty tired of it. So one Sunday morning, um, getting ready for church, I told God, this is it, this is enough. You've got to fix me now, today. If you don't do something today, well, I don't know what I'll do, but you'll be sorry. <laughs> None of us here doubts that. <laughs> Got through that church service, and nothing. Diddly squat. I thought, Fine, well, I'm not coming back to church tonight. I'll show you. <laughs> well, Chelsea found me after children's church was done and a friend had invited her over to their house and they could bring her back to church. <clears throat> <sighs> Fine, I'll just come back and I'll pick her up after church. Oh, but mama, I just, I just need you to bring me something. I don't remember what it was, but, and she needed it for the church service. Fine. I'll, I'll give her the thing, and then I'll just sneak out to Baker Square during church. Well, it turns out that we were having a guest speaker, Roosevelt Hunter, at our church that night. And the kids were going to be there, and I had to stay. Well, fine, but I'm not going to listen, because God... That, that, yeah. He had his chance. He did have his chance. 
<clears throat> and so, <clears throat> somehow, through all that junky attitude, God still got through to my heart. And by the time I left the service, I had no guarantee of what my life held in store, no promise of anything or anyone. But what I did know, I know, I know, I know, that God would take care of me, and he had a life that was filled with hope and joy for my future and Chelsea's. And during these months, God had plenty of time to do a lot of healing in my heart. And let me tell you, forgiveness is foundational to be able to truly move on. Dead batteries here, just FYI. So, Pastor Randy Nelson, incidentally, the first person that I told I was getting divorced called me out of the blue and he said, I found the girl you need to marry. <laughs> Pull any punches. Anyway, if I get her to come to Des Moines, will you go out with her just at least once? So, October 21st, 1996, it happened. Um, by the way, if you're taking a girl on a blind date, you should always make sure that the restaurant you're going to go to is actually open that night. <laughs> anyway, um, <clears throat> just saying. It took us three restaurants to get there. We did it, though. She had a daughter with, uh, you know, and he, he was, Pastor Randy Nelson was not wrong. We talked until 3 a.m. Um, it was amazing. But she had a daughter and ex-husband in Minneapolis, and I couldn't leave my girls alone here with their mom. She was great. It was impossible. So Randy Nelson is my sister-in-law's brother-in-law. And there's a, a family event happening for, my, for that family. And so my sister-in-law invited me over. By the time Randy Nelson told me he had a guy that I needed to meet down in Des Moines, um, the enticement was he's got a ponytail, an earring, in a Christian rock band. But he's probably going to quit the rock band soon. All I could think of was, oh, Willie Nelson. <clears throat> I had zero anticipation of the date. It was really just an excuse to escape Minneapolis for a few days with my sister-in-law. Just call me Phil. Phil or get in uh, since the date wasn't going anywhere, there was no pressure to be anyone other than me. And imagine my surprise when we met and he looked nothing like Willie Nelson. <laughs> but it's, it still wasn't going to work because, well, he was Iowa and I was Minnesota. So I could still be myself. No one was more shocked than me when, that, when things actually did move forward. I had no clue at that point how it would ever work out but I knew for certain that God would handle everything with the timing. So there I am, the worship leader at our church, and I know that uh, the next week we are having Tom Stammen come in. And if you don't know him, he is like God's laser beam of prophecy. He sees the things that were in your heart in kindergarten in detail. <laughs> so I told God, fine, 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 fine. If you're going to nail me, I want free from this certain area of compromised sin that I've been dealing with in my life, and I want to know about this Carrie thing. Because I'd, I'd also kind of dated this local pastor's daughter, and she was more convenient. Didn't, didn't, it didn't feel right. But I was trying to talk God into, you know, something. Anyway. And I was going to Minneapolis, and she knows all this. Uh, and I was going to Minneapolis the next weekend to go on my third date with Carrie, so I really needed to know right then. 
we have this history of giving God ultimatums. Um, so there I was leading the worship and the guys, he's, you know, whatever. And he looks and he gives me this like vanilla generic prophetic word. Whew, cool. God, I skated. And then he I literally whipped around. Oh, I have a word for you. Come down here. Oh, man. Um, so first thing he said was, there are things that are acceptable for other people, but not for you. You are required to live by a higher standard. Yeah. <laughs> Item number one, done. Right? You know what? If you bring your items to God first, he doesn't have to nail you hard. Just a check mark thing for you to think about. Yeah, all right. And then he said, and all you prophetic teachers will know how really in line this is, I see a wedding ring on your finger. There in front of my church and my pastor and everybody. I see a wedding ring on your finger. Oh, to quote Ashley, holy crap. <laughs> if you know Ashley and can quote her, but yeah, yeah. Um, the enemy, so, and then he went on to say, the enemy will try to offer you substitutes, second best, but God has the best thing for you. Pursue God's best. Yeah. Boom. Number two, done. <laughs> I was hoping he was giving her a similar word, but I didn't, you know, anyway. Um, and then he looked at me and he said, I see the word golf. Do you like golf? Do you play golf? No, really don't. Um, we both had no idea. And he said, which is really good prophetic protocol, I don't know. He said, maybe, you know, an above par life, da 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 da, something. I just saw the word golf, that's all I know. Okay, so I went to Minneapolis. <laughs> didn't buy any golf clubs or anything, right? So I went to Minneapolis and I met a bubbly blonde ball of energy named Chelsea. She stepped on my feet. Um, and Carrie's family, and we, uh, and I saw the frozen Minnehaha Falls for five minutes. That's all we could do. And uh, we went to the Mall of America. It was awesome. So now again, it's 3 a.m. And I met, and I, uh, I'm in Carrie's basement. Um, yeah, her, Carrie's brother's basement. Oh, yeah, no, no, nothing inappropriate here. <laughs> Carrie's brother's basement. Thank you. No. <laughs> His wife left a Hellsberg's ring catalog on the bed where I was staying. And, um, so I'm laughing nervously, and then I realize it's time for prayer. So I am praying desperately, right? I am, I am, I am just, my eyes are closed. My, my teeth are clenched. God, you've, literally, this was my prayer. I've been fooled before. This feels right to my heart, but I don't trust my heart. This is too important. You have to show me. And I opened my eyes to this. Golf with your friends. Golf towels, golf shower curtains, golf books, golf soap. Suddenly, I knew what golf meant. So God worked out all of the impossible details. And in fact, most were actually already worked out before we even knew they were details. And six months later, we were married. And that is when it started to get really interesting. And so over time... One of the things that I discovered through the journey is that um, <clears throat> what may end up as our plan B, as long as we cooperate with God, it is not at all inferior to our plan A. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I'm going to pass this off to Chantel. Say it again, Carrie. Say it one more time. 
Okay. You can pass these ads. You have to. <laughs> um, what may end up as our plan B, if we cooperate with God, it's not at all inferior to our plan A. Yeah, I know. So good. Um, so I'm Chantel. I'm the oldest um, of Rick's two girls, um, Chelsea, in the middle. Wait, can you tell which daughters go with which? <laughs> um, I'm going to take you back um, in our story. They kind of left at us all being together. I'm going to take you back to the divorce. And um, this is my husband, Anthony. And um, we're kind of going to tell you how we landed together and how Anthony ended up in our family um, and God's hand on all of that. Um, so I'll pick back up at um, age four. It's my earliest memories um, was of, you know, kind of my parents not getting along um, and separating. During that time, we lived in the, we were moving from the parsonage of Glad Tidings Assembly to a new home with our mom, um, and he was winding down his ministry time as a youth pastor at Glad Tidings. During that time, um, Nina and I were entrusted to um, somebody in my parents' youth group, um, and during that time, uh, four years old and two years old, we were uh, molested. So imagine, um, your parents going through this awful divorce, a lot of change, and all of a sudden, um, these two um, little girls are just completely blindsided. And now we are, uh, we kind of went um, in our own little ways here. <laughs> um, but in that time of just complete chaos in my life, all I knew was that Jesus sounded so sweet. Um, and so at age five, at one of the times, you know, when we were with dad, Sunday night services were my favorite. Um, yeah. And uh, there was always an altar call, which I loved. Um, and so at age five, um, as we are walking through all of these things, um, I uh, gave my life to Jesus. And I remember being at the altar down by the piano with my dad and him walking me through the sinner's prayer. And that is something that um, basically started out my, uh, my journey in um, when Satan tried to derail me at four years old, um, turning in obedience to Jesus and giving my life to him at a very early age. And so I'll pass it to Anthony. All right. And to, to kind of lighten, my wife made these notes and they are color coded. So just so you know, that's... Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm praying for you. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's appreciate that. Uh, so I probably, well, I'm the only one that came and grew up in a non-Christian family. Uh, my parents uh, were not saved. And now I have a family history that my mom's side of the family is Catholic somewhere, and my dad's side of the family is Italian, so they're just naturally Catholic. Uh, so, but we, we didn't talk about that. We didn't talk about religion. Um, but my parents were struggling in their marriage, uh, at an early age for me too. But, um, the kicker is they were trying to find a church to go to, to bring the family unit together. Uh, they went to a Mormon church uh, to start with, uh, that didn't work out. So we didn't go there. 
We ended up at Genesis Open Bible in Arizona, which is where we lived and where I grew up. Um, and through Open Bible, uh, a lot of things have happened. Like I know Randy Bixby because of uh, being at that church. But my family, uh, yeah, they just, we didn't talk about religion. And at the age of eight, I started going to that church. And I grew up in that church all the way through 20, 21, as you'll see. So um, we're kind of going in timeline order here. Um, fast forward for me, um, age four, um, I went through um, kind of a desperate time in life trying to gain control as a four-year-old, a five-year-old, six-year-old, um, having been abused, watching your parents um, struggle um, to raise two kids. Um, they were separated, but not quite divorced. Um, we went through um, a death of a family member that I was very, very, very close to in that time, so that rocked my world. Um, so due to all of that trauma and everything, um, by second grade, I had a severe eating disorder. Um, I was trying to just claim any kind of control in my life, and I didn't know how to do that. How does a seven-year-old know how to do that? Um, so I was hospitalized at Lutheran, monitored constantly. Um, you know, everybody's watching what I'm eating or trying to get me to eat more. And, um, and that came to a head um, when I was in sixth grade. I was about 10 years old um, and just kind of um, emaciated and sickly. I was always sick. Um, and food just, it was the one thing in my life where I could control it and I could hold on to all of those things in my life, and it was the one thing that nobody could make me do if I didn't want to. And um, that's when Carrie came into my life. <laughs> um, through all of that, I'm sure that she was like, oh my word, what did I get myself into? Um, no, that was me. <laughs> yeah. um, but through all that, um, I was to a point where they wanted to hospitalize me again, um, and this time it would have been much more serious. Um, and so I remember, like it was yesterday, uh, my dad just bending over me and saying, Chantel, if you do not eat this food, we are going to be visiting your grave soon. And um, that was eye-opening for me because I didn't want to die, you know? I, I loved my dad and I hated disappointing him. And, and so it, I just knew that I needed God in that time. And so um, I went to camp, and of course my dad had um, spies at camp. And everybody, <laughs> I had to sit by an adult when I ate, and I, had, I was monitored very closely. But in that time, I had just an extreme encounter with God. Um, he showed me my purpose, he gave me a hope. Um, you know, told me, you know, we're going to do this together. And he gave me some, you know, very specific promises for my life. Um, and so it was a struggle. And, and I'm, I won't say that God healed me overnight. Um, but those next few years were ones of just complete restoration in that area. Sorry to keep jumping back and forth. But uh, from age eight, I was going to this church. And by the age of 12, I gave my life to Christ. Mind you, again, in a non-Christian home, my parents were faithful enough to take me to church on a consistent basis. And by age 12, I wanted to go all the time. I'd go Wednesdays, I'd go Sundays, and I'd go Sunday nights. By age 14, I became one of the leaders in the youth. Um, and in age 16, 
uh, one of four guys, there four people that would actually lead the youth group. Um, but in the midst of all that, I knew that I was on a different path than my family. Different path than my brother, different path than my mom, different path than my dad. Uh, what we know, now know, a lot of that had to do with this family and their prayers for their daughter, for their daughter's future husband. Um, and at the age of 16, I was baptized uh, and, and kept going in that direction. So um, giving God an ultimatum in prayer is kind of a family trait, I think. <laughs> um, uh, when I was 15, um, you know, I had seen a lot of relationship dysfunctionality in my family. And um, I was getting to a point where, you know, we're starting to talk in youth group about relationships and dating and, and all this thing. And I was kind of to the point where it was like, God... I hate surprises. Like, I, I don't want any more surprises in my life, and I just want to meet my husband before I go to college. Like, help, you know, I just, I, I want your hand in this, and I want that person, but please just let me meet him before I go to college. Um, and so that was kind of my ultimatum prayer to Jesus was just, just this one thing, just let me meet um, my husband. So after 16, uh, I just kept working in the church, kept going on from there, and decided that uh, after I graduated high school in 1998, um, do the math, I'm almost 40. Um, He's the old one. I'm the old one, yeah, I'm the oldest. Um, so I kept going in and just wasn't sure what I was gonna do with my future. Wasn't sure what degree or direction I wanted to go. Uh, went to a couple national conventions with Open Bible. Uh, one of them was a youth convention. I was one of the leaders, and so chaperoning um, a lot of the other kids that were probably only four years younger than me, if that. So uh, we were in Denver, Colorado at Frontline. I know Randy knows that well. And uh, a couple of my best, my best friends, who are pastor's kids, were walking down the hallway with me. And one of them darted into a room, and we were like uh, kind of surprised that he darted into a room. We got up there, walk into this room, and there's three girls there. And one of them had pulled him in to work on their fridge, which was not broken. Um, <laughs> there was a lot that was not approved about that yeah. home. <laughs> so many things. Um, so we got in there, and we introduced ourselves, and one of the girls was Chantel. Uh, my parents... In about that time, my parents decided that their relationship was not going to work anymore, so they got separated. At the age of 21, roughly, uh, they, they divorced. Now, being uh, one of the only ones saved at that time in my family, I postponed going to college at Eugene Bible College for a year. I'd already gone to college, community college, for two years, so I was going to transfer in as a sophomore. So I postponed that for one more year. I was going to just work, but I wanted to be there for my family. I wanted to be there for my parents to be the spiritual guide, at least give them a door for God to use through this tough time. So we met very briefly, um, didn't actually know each other. And I, if you do the math, I was 15, he was 20. No dating happened at that time. Um, <laughs> um, but through high school, um, as my dad said, um, we lived mostly with my mom. And so it was a very different dynamic in our home because, um, you know, at, 
at one turn we were living in a very godly home and the other, you know, there was things that we just had to work out with Jesus daily um, as we lived with our mom. And so part of that, I became, I began to take some of that on and I started to look at my worth as a person by, um, my, uh, by working, my accomplishments, my friendships, dating relationships, that kind of thing. And so over my four years of high school, it just, it left me really depressed and increasingly anxious. Um, I worked a lot um, to avoid going home and I dated to not feel lonely. Um, it all came to a head my senior uh, summer of my senior year. Me and my mom had um, kind of um, come to a spot in our relationship where um, it was clear, um, you know, that I was headed down a path with Jesus, and that wasn't, you know, the path that she was going. And so, as I'm sitting on the back steps of my mom's house, literally falling apart, um, Jesus just wrapped his arms around me. And just let me know that he loved me and, and, and that he was going to be faithful and through all of this. And some promises that he had made back in sixth grade were still going to um, come to pass. And some that I'm still holding on to that I know that he's going to be faithful. Um, a few weeks after that, I was baptized. Um, and that was my fresh start. And I headed off to Bible college. In Bible college, we met um, officially and... Um, and several of our friends thought, you know, told us separately, you guys would be a really good match. Um, and it turns out we were. Um, but through all of that, we have been able to look back um, kind of um, in our lives and see our faithfulness through our marriage. We've walked through uh, generational strongholds, um, diabetes diagnosis, um, bad job situations, financial strains health issues with us and our kids, learning disabilities, um, but we've seen God's hand in it all. And uh, he's provided right when we need it, he's comforted when we felt completely lost, and he's consistently opened and closed doors um, where we didn't see him. Kind of a running joke, and you kind of hear it throughout this, is the intercessor part as, um, you know, oh, you're gonna land on grandpa's prayer list. Um, and, but in all seriousness, it's a long list. Many of you are on it. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Not, not, yeah. Um, but in all seriousness, through those times, like Anthony said, um, I knew that my great grandparents and my grandparents and my parents um, were constantly praying for us and that God's faithfulness to us um, was not you know, without them uplifting us in, in prayer constantly. And, uh, and that I wanted to encourage you who are contending for your family members. Even if, even if you haven't seen God's faithfulness yet in their lives, that he will, he will do what he said he was going to do. Amen. Hello. Um, so I'm going to piggyback. Can everyone hear me? Okay, there we go. Um, I'm going to piggyback off of that. When I was first starting to just, um, we were talking about, you know, we're going to do this family service and everybody gets to share their piece. And I was like, what 
Jesus, what, what? I mean, I can look back over the course of my life and I can clearly see the hand of God and the faithfulness of God, but somehow that didn't just translate into talking points. Um, but as I chatted with God more about it, just the things that stood out to me have been some things that God's taught me about healing along the way, because um, obviously, you know, there's lots of details with our family story um, that we're not going to share um, in this public setting, just out of honor for the rest of our family. Um, and yeah, but um, regardless of whether you know all the details of our family's history or not, there is just a lot of pain. Um, you know, whether there's big gory things or there's just divorce, like your family breaks and that's, that's super painful. Um, so I don't know if I just stuffed it away when I was little. I probably did that. Um, but I don't know, I felt pretty happy growing up. And um, it wasn't until I got to college, and for the first two years of college, I went to Eugene Bible College in Oregon, where Chantel and Anthony were. Um, and it wasn't until I got to that point that um, I just realized, like, oh, I've got some stuff. <laughs> like, there's, there's some, some pain that I've packed away, and I've got to start sorting through this because this is not good. Um, and it was just when I look back, I just see, like, the tenderness of God. It's as if he just decided, like, all right, Chelsea, I'm just going to take you, and we're just going to tuck you away. I'm just going to cocoon you away for a little bit, um, and you're just, and I'm going to walk with you. Um, and God's so good in how he walks with us through healing. You know, he knows what we can tolerate. Um, um, and he's so good to say, you know what? Yeah, we're going to go after this thing. And I know this hurts. And I know this is deep. We're going to do this one layer. And then you can rest. And then, you know, when he knows you're ready, okay, we're going to go back. And now we're going to, now I'm going to put my finger on this thing. He's so good. And that's just what I've seen. And healing is not like a fast overnight thing. I mean, I think we're all still, like there's still are things that come up for all of us. It's like, oh, shoot, I got stuff to work on there, you know? Um, but something that was just really foundational in my healing journey um, was there was one Christmas break. I was home from college and there was nothing egregious that happened. There was just like one little dynamic um, that again, nothing, nothing mean, nothing bad, but one little dynamic that just triggered something for me. And my heart was already pretty raw because I had just kind of been starting that like, oh, I should look at all my feelings from the last decade. Um, and so my heart was already in a really raw state. And this one little thing that happened just was the straw that broke the camel's back and I just lost it. Um, and I went in the bathroom upstairs at my parents' house and I just locked the door and I just sobbed. And I was sitting in our vanity and <laughs> we have sisters our vanity. Um, and I was just sobbing and I was chatting with God about it. And somewhere out of the blue, I said, God, I feel like I have a right to this pain, which that was like a random, seemingly random thing to say. It's not like I just thought that thought all the time, but I said out loud, I feel like I have a right to this pain. And just instantly there was this, it was so gentle, but there was, it was such a holy rebuke, um, but with so much love. And it was like one of those moments where, you know, when you hear from God, where there's like a just download it, and in a, in a nanosecond, you just know, oh, this is really important. <laughs> and so um, the picture, there was a picture that came to my mind first, and the picture was these giant hands holding this like huge mound of kind of yucky looking clay, um, and the words that went with the picture were something to this effect, chills. When you have pain, I always, I need you to walk through it. I need you to sink your fingers into it. I need you to feel it. I need you to, to walk through it. That's how you heal. But when you have pain, the pain always stays in my hands. Like you never get to hold the pain in your hands as your own, as you have, as if you have a right to it. Because when you do that, you create, you use it to create a wall and to create distance between your heart and other people. And more importantly, between your heart and my heart. And I won't stand for that. And then he said, Chelsea, you don't have a right to your pain. The only thing you have a right to is my sweetness. Um, and 
And yeah, that was just a really cornerstone. Oh, okay. Um, and I'm really, I'm so thankful that God taught me that then because that has been, um, that's how I've walked out, not perfectly by any means, but that's been such a cornerstone for how I've walked out all the different healing pieces that God's brought me into. Um, and, you know, um, yeah, Chantel, just you're talking about, you know, as you're praying for family members that maybe aren't where you would love to see them and you feel like God has so many promises for their life that they haven't stepped into yet. Uh, my dad is so precious to me, so precious to me. And um, the prayers that I've prayed for my dad are the oldest prayers of my life. I've, you know, pray, I've been praying for him since I was seven years old. Um, and God's just been showing me recently that the prayers that I prayed for my dad when I was seven, um, it's not like, you know, we say a prayer and then, you know, an angel takes it and uses it up and then we have to give God more fuel, you know, in prayer. That's not how things work. Like when we pray, um, our, those prayers are powerful and God collects them. And the prayers that I prayed for my dad when I was seven, God is still using that investment. He's still using those prayers that it, those prayers have already laid the tracks for the work that God's continuing to do in my dad's life today. Um, and I just, I love that. And the other thing I love, of course, when God does healing in our hearts, you know, yeah, like when he restores our relationships and things that completely affects the generations to come, right? Because we interact with them in a more healthy way so they can be more healthy and they can have a better foundation. Um, so it goes, you know, down the generational line. But it's just the nature and the goodness of God and his extravagance. It can't help but go up the, the family line as well and the generational line. So that's something that I feel like just is strong on my heart. Um, you know, if you've especially... If you've got parents, you know, parents and grandparents and people that you're just crying out like, God, I want to see you just explode in their lives. Um, the work that God's doing in your heart can't help but affect them. And of course, yeah, they get to decide whether they cooperate, but it's like God creates a pretty majestic invitation to them through the work that he's doing in, in us and in you. So that's my part. Okay, first of all, I just want to say, you guys are so lucky they're only turning on one mic at a time up here <laughs> because there have been so many comments that we've all wanted to share that we had, couldn't, so. <laughs> it's the table. <laughs> um, I want to give a shout out to Bella. Hey, Bella, hi, I know you. Hi, Bella, we miss you. Um, and I love embarrassing Bella. Um, so I'm Nina, I am the youngest of Rick's daughters, and um, this is Justin, my husband. Um, we are not gonna share a story. I mean, our story is shared because we're married, but we have separate things to say to you today. Uh, <laughs> you looked really confused. Uh, um, so, um, a lot of what you've heard so far has been about stuff that has happened in the past. Um, what I have to share with you is more current. It's about stuff that I am going through right now. Um, so, um, at least two years ago, I was um, chaperoning a youth event called Breakaway. Um, I go to Fort Des Moines Open Bible Church, which is the church that um, me and Chantal like the most. Um, because of the children's ministry that we got to stay at. Um, Justin and I are serving there currently. Justin is the worship pastor. I am on um, youth staff there. Um, and um, so, so anyway, I was chaperoning um, 
a youth weekend event called Breakaway. Um, and my pastor got a word for me, a vision and a word that said, I see a table. It is like the most beautifully handcrafted masterpiece of a table that you could ever imagine. But the top has rough edges, like it's not finished yet. And you are that table. And God is telling me that he's gonna finish your edges. And so I was like, cool, yes, God, thank you, that's awesome. Um, let's do it, start now. Um, and so God is good and he is faithful. And so over the next couple months, he did what he said he was gonna do and he started sanding on my edges. And um, I, we started to receive little bits of truth um, that hurt, they hurt. Um, but they were necessary. Um, little bits like um, that helped that helped us start to change essential things in our marriage that had been so damaging that we didn't even realize, like assuming the worst of each other and communicating our way instead of the way that the other person needed. Um, and we learned good things like um, how to have grace for each other when our word choice is poor. Not if it is poor, when it is poor. Your word choice is poor sometimes. Don't even act like it. Um, and, we <laughs> and we learned to apologize for things we didn't mean to do but did anyway. And, you know, other things. You know, if you're married, you know. Um, and those changes did not come easily or quickly. It was a time of long discussions and many tears. Justin, I'm just kidding, I'm the crier. <laughs> I prayed many prayers for God to keep going, keep digging stuff up and, and to be dealt with and thanking him for his great love and faithfulness. Um, and things were honestly better than they had ever been between us until they got worse. <laughs> Worse than it seemed they'd been in a long time. Oh my gosh. And then we started seeing and dealing with issues we had never even realized that we had a problem with. Like we were reacting to each other out of how we felt instead of responding with love and respect. There was a lack of physical and spiritual intimacy um, and we noticed even a differenting in parenting styles and opinions that we didn't even know we had. Um, God was like really working on my edges. Um, I remember, in fact, one morning uh, crying all the way on my drive to work, all the way to the parking lot, crying all the way, walking into the building, and crying all the way getting into the elevator. And then I had to like just suck it up and stop crying as soon as the door opened, like, <sighs> and then going into work. Um, I felt so hopeless, like there was so much wrong with my marriage that Justin and I would be fighting until we died. Um, but God is good and he is faithful. Um, that day he sent me his love and encouragement and a promise for my marriage. Um, Justin and I put in a lot of um, discussions, a lot of work, a lot of late nights and tears. And things got better than ever because we worked on that hard stuff. And so I kept praying for God to shine his light on the dark places in me, to dig up and bring out the things I didn't know about that only he knew about. And I thanked him for his faithfulness in digging stuff up. And then things got real. 
really real. Really real. I started to notice strong, deeply rooted negative beliefs I have about myself and my world. If you have little kids, cover their ears. Like, sex is not safe. People only want me for what they can get out of me. My house has to be clean before I can do anything else. Like, literally, I would stay up till 11 cleaning and not take a shower because my house had to be clean. Like, I would sacrifice anything and everything else for my house to be clean. And, that's, and, I, and, and it wasn't until this point that I realized I was doing that and that it's not okay and it's not healthy. God started really digging up the big icky things. Um, so you can imagine how great that was for my marriage. Um, Justin and I knew at that point that we were in over our heads with these negative beliefs because they weren't logical. It's not like we could sit up at night and talk them out like we had with past issues. We couldn't just figure them out ourselves. Um, we were in over our heads. God is good and he's faithful. Uh, he helped me find the right therapist and I've been going to counseling for a few months now. I've come to understand that these negative beliefs about myself and my world are because of past traumas. Things like being molested when I was little, things like my parents divorced, issues that Justin and I have faced as a married couple that he's gonna divulge a little bit. Um, um, I'm in the process of healing those with God's help. Um, and things are better than they have ever been, but it's not over. I'm still saying yes to God and still asking him to dig up things. Show me the things that only he knows needs to be worked on and to put me through the refiner's fire. That's, a, that's something I started praying a couple days ago to just, uh, I don't know why I keep asking this. Put me through the refiner's fire. Um, through this whole process, God has been faithful. He made a plan for all of this redeeming that he was gonna do in me. He told me about it, about the table that he was gonna, you know, finish the edges. And he hasn't stopped revealing truth. He has never revealed anything to us and just left us alone to deal with it. He also provided every truth with perfect timing and in perfect order. Our hearts have always been prepared for the truth that he's revealed. And previous issues have, that have been dealt with have opened the door for us to deal with bigger issues later, like um, us dealing with the way that we communicated in the first round of issues set the table for us to be able to deal with serious issues later. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. Um, so as I continue to walk down this path of being sanded, refined, all of that stuff by God. I have hope because I know that God has a plan. It's like the way that he's planned this redemption is like a puzzle. He has all the pieces, he sees the big picture and he knows where every piece goes and when and he hasn't failed because he is good and he is faithful. So, so Justin has got, I see that his notes are really short, so that's awesome. Oh, it's the wrong side. Oh, well. All it's right. okay. Um, but I just wrote them. Just going to say it's 12.04. If you have kids that are in the nursery, you want to snag them and bring them back in here 
and uh, and we're just going to, the, the closing prayer that we're going to do, I want to do it as family groups. So it would be, you know, and if you have to go, like if there's your table is waiting at home, you know, I totally understand that. But we got one more person to talk to us here and we're going to, and we're going to close together in prayer. So, and Chantel made me say that. I'm still wondering how I end up having to go after everyone else. Like, try following that. That's all I'm saying. Uh, so, I had, uh, Chelsea mentioned the, the meeting lunch that we had where we all talked about what we were going to talk about. And I had this awesome plan of talking about, like, my parents' divorce and how that affected me. And I felt like I lost my family and it affected me greatly. And then God replaced my family but is still restoring my original family. It was awesome. And it was going to be, like, super weepy and everyone was going to think it was amazing. And uh, last night, I was like, yeah, no, you're not talking about that. So <laughs> here are my notes. I, I had a lot more at one point, And then he said, no, you don't get to talk about that. And I said, okay. What do I talk about? And he gave me my first sentence, which I was not a fan of, but I'm going to say it anyway. About nine years ago, I was in jail. Uh, <laughs> thankfully, it was only for one night, but I was in jail. I had made some really dumb choices that led me there. And what led me to that point is kind of the big moment that uh, makes this meaningful. I have struggled... If I start ugly crying at any point, just pretend it's not happening, please. Uh, but I have struggled my whole life feeling like I was unworthy of love. Uh, I never felt good enough for my parents. We, we went to church, and I was super involved in church, but I never felt like I was really one of the good kids. Um, I always felt like I had to fake myself around my friends for them to accept me. And I had to be who they thought I was supposed to be. Um, I have two older brothers who, sadly, I'm not very close to at this point in my life. But I loved them. And I worshipped them when I was a kid. I mean, I listened to the music they listened to. I wanted to be them. And they were four years and six years older than me. So if any of you have kids with an age gap like that, they didn't want their little brother hanging around. Because they were cool teenagers and I was an annoying little kid. And uh, it hit, it hurt, you know, and, and it hit me. And that was the mentality that I had is I'm not good enough. I'll never be good enough. Nothing I do is going to be good enough. Uh, hmm. <laughs> so I ended up going to college at North Central. Um, that's kind of like a thing for our family is that area. But uh, that's where I met Nina. And... It was kind of a revelation of, hey, here's someone who actually likes me for me. You know, um, she, I told her stuff that I had never told a lot of people. I told her some of the hard stuff that I've dealt with in my life, and it didn't scare her off. If I divulged a little more, it would make more sense, but that's not what matters. What matters is that she showed me love. And it, it, it affected me, you know. So fast forward a few years, we ended up um, getting married and we had a baby and uh, our oldest son, Jet. And the day that he was born, I had a moment where I said, I will always provide everything this kid needs. I will be everything he needs me to be. 
which is really, really cool to say, but we were not always the smartest financially, and we were living in a place we couldn't really afford. We were uh, faced with the fact that we had a one-year-old baby, um, and I, for those of you who are parents, um, I don't know if you know this, but kids are expensive. Uh, and we were in jobs that made just enough to not qualify for any assistance, but not enough to actually survive. Um, and I made a choice to fix it myself. Now, looking back, that was a stupid choice. Um, and I, I knew that at the time too, but I made a choice that no, I'm not going to ask anyone else for help. I already tried the, you know, to go the, through the government assistance and that was denied, but I can't admit to my family and to Nina's family that I can't do this on my own. So I'm going to make it work myself. And it worked for a little while and I felt great. Uh, actually, I was miserable because I, I was living a lie. And I don't know if any of you guys have ever looked at the story of Samson and thought, what the heck is this guy's problem? Why does he keep going back and doing the same stupid thing over and over and over and over? So eight years ago, I was in jail and I had an oh moment when I got it because I was basically just like Samson. I kept going back. I knew it was stupid. I knew it was wrong. And I kept going back. And I was floored. <clears throat> the amount of shame that filled that room that I was sitting in was overwhelming. I hated me. I was devastated. And I heard the enemy's voice in my head saying, you were right. You're not good enough. You're not good enough for her. You're not good enough for them. I was in ministry at the time and I felt him saying to me, you're not good enough to serve. You're not good enough to lead. You're a failure. You're a mistake. Uh, huh. This is where the crying's going to start. So I got out and uh, I talked to Nina and I don't want to pretend that it was perfect she was angry and she was upset because I'd been lying to her for about a year but there was love and I didn't know what to do with that because it didn't make any sense and I thought okay at least I still have her on my side but there's no way her family and I feel it's really important to point out that was my mentality her family was never going to accept me there's no way they're ever going to let me or trust me after this. And we sat down with Rick and Carrie and, uh, I love you, man. <laughs> there was love. And that was the moment that changed things because it was no longer her family. It was my family. And those are all awesome things, but the biggest one was because of their response, I found myself saying, you know what? Yeah, I've thrown away my ministry. And there's no taking that back because I, I did it. It was on me. 
but I'm diving in with everything I've got and I'm going to get as close to God as I can. And as I was worshiping him and just pursuing him, my mind kept going to, yeah, but what do people think of me? What do people think of me? And one day he told me, I will restore your ministry. And I said, yeah, but there's no way they're ever going to trust me again. And in that moment, he said to me, my opinion is the only opinion that matters. I'm going to shorten it up for the sake of time, but um, fast forward a few years, God put into place these moments of opportunity. Um, he, he opened a door. He, he provided a mentor for me um, in, in the format of worship. My, our church invested time, money, and energy into me. And I have been the worship pastor there for six years now. Uh, and I thought I was done. So here's the big thing that I'm hoping. I know there's at least someone in here that needs to hear this. You've heard these stories and they're amazing. And God is so faithful. But the thing that sticks out in my story for me that I hope you're hearing is even when I wasn't, God was faithful. Don't let the enemy steal the promises of God from you. Because even though you fail, even when your faithfulness wavers, he is unwavering. And he is faithful to the end. I didn't coach them. I didn't tell them what they had to share, didn't have to share. Can you guys um, like snag a guitar and do, we're going to just do uh, goodness of God and I'm going to take a page and wrap it up really quickly. If you read Psalm 119, it is stunning how much David talks about his life and going through affliction. He talks about how blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. How blessed are those who observe his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart. They also do. Have you noticed that it's all they and them? David is not talking about himself. But when he gets to uh, a little later, he said, oh, that my ways would be established to keep your ways. We could read all of Psalm 118, but we really can't. Remember that your word to your servant in which you have made me hope. This is my comfort in my affliction, that your word has revived me. You've heard from all of these guys how God spoke to them. And it's through various things, through prayer and for just journaling or, or life circumstances, situations. God will put you in stuff where you have no choice but him. Trust him. He will do it. Um, His word makes us hope. When you're desperate, this is how you steward your heart, his word. Now, faith, hope, and love, these three abide, but the greatest of these is love. And Hebrews says, faith is the substance of things hoped for, but the evidence of things not seen. So faith is the substance of hope, but what's the, what is the substance of faith? Go back to love. 
When you're in deep, you don't have to stir up your faith or stir up your hope. You go back to his word, to his prayer, to worship, your connection with God, and you stir up your love. And as you stir up your love again, you begin to grasp how much God loves you, how much he would do absolutely anything for you. And if you don't believe that's true, you just need to read his word and ask him because he will show you. And recount your testimonies. But if you don't have them, recount our testimonies. Because our testimonies are your testimonies. Our testimonies, all of us. So David said, you've dealt well with your servant, O Lord. Oh, wait, there's a good sentence. I got to do this. As you recount your testimony, a testimony is love displayed over time. Right? God's love displayed over time is a testimony. Your history with God, that establishes your faith. And that faith established through the testimony will become the substance of your hope, which will become the beacon for your life. David said in Psalm 119, this is my life verse, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. You are good and you do good. Teach me your statutes. See, it's not blaming God, it's turning to him. And you've seen all kinds of circumstances in our lives where we had those moments. There were so many more moments that we, we whittled this down. I, I tr- trust me. But the key to surviving stuff is when you're at the moment, at the crossroad, you turn to him. You turn to him. If it's your fault or circumstances fault or if it's affliction, if it's suffering... Psalms 11968 literally says in NIV, you are good and what you do is good. All of what we've learned, felt, encountered has led us to this one conclusion. You are good and what you do is good. So I don't know where you are. I don't know what's facing your family right now, but I want to tell you this. God is good and what he does is good. Maybe you need to take that first step, right? Where you're like, I'm not sure that I even have a connection with God. Super easy. If you believe in, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you, and you say, and believe that God is raised from the dead, you're saved. So pray this prayer with me, right? God, I just give you all of me. You beat death for me to put life in me. I reach out my hand and I take it. Amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to help more people hear this message, you can get the word out by subscribing and sharing it on social media. If you'd like to support the ministries of Heartland Church, you can do so at heartlandchurchonline.com give.